guys, it's Cenk. We dug up this interview from a few years back and we thought you will really enjoy it. So take a listen. Now today on the Young Tours, we have a great guest for you guys, Will Wheat, star of Stand By Me, Star Trek The Next Generation, which I only watched every single episode of. Uh, he's also, by the way, a voice actor on Family Guy. He's also uh, voted or declared the 14th most influential web celebrity in 2009 by Forbes. He only has 2.2 million followers on Twitter. Uh, apparently, I can keep going for a long time here. <laughs> All right. So, and, and Wheaton's Law for gamers, uh, which apparently is don't be a dick, uh, which I didn't know. I can't wait to ask you about. Okay. Okay. okay how All that right. came about. All right. All right. So, uh, I want to talk to you about your activism too. You fought against SOPA, and it was terrific work. Uh, but let's start at the beginning. Okay. Okay. Great to have you here. And uh, let me ask you how you got into acting in the first place. It runs in my family. Uh, when I was a little kid, my mom was a commercial actor, and there were times where she couldn't get a babysitter and took me with her to uh, auditions. And uh, I went to an audition with her in like 78 or 79, and uh, they were casting mothers and, and, and sons. Uh -huh. And someone at the casting office saw the two of us together and asked me to go in also with my mom. I booked the job with her. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was for uh, Jello pudding pops. So for my very oh, first job, it was great. So my very first job, I got to go on location, which is always really cool. I went up to Lake Tahoe because Bill Cosby was in the commercial. Bill Cosby was also uh, doing shows at like Harvey's or Harris or something like right. that. Uh, we shot in the middle of winter on a golf course that they like. Uh, like spray painted green. I ate my weight in Jello pudding pops. Uh, oh no, it was, this had to be the greatest thing ever. How <laughs> old were you at that time? I was like, I was six and a half or seven. Okay, you're six and a half. Did you meet Bill Cosby? I did. You meet Bill Cosby. You get your first acting job, and you get all the pudding pops you're gonna eat. Yeah. It's a, so then you think acting is like the greatest thing that ever yeah, happened. Yeah, it, it, I'll be honest. It really sort of upset the curve. Uh -huh. Right, like it was, it was very weird. It, it was, it was, uh, you know, and then it sort of settled into the grind of being a commercial actor for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And when I was around, I want to say when I was around 10, 10 or ten or so, uh, I did this commercial uh, for uh, Duncan Hines Brownies, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I see worked a theme. With, here I, I worked with right. I worked with this director uh, who we had all been told before we got to the set. Listen, he's not very good with kids. He's directing seventeen kids. <laughs> <laughs> Might have right? gone with and, a different like, director. Yeah, right? And I just thought, well, that's odd. And he just screamed at me the entire time. And I said to my mom at the end of that day, I don't want to do commercials anymore. I think I want to go try to do movies. Mm -hmm. And we went and talked with the theatrical agent at the agency. And she signed me. And I did some acting classes. And then just worked you get, and worked and worked. How'd you get stand by me? I just auditioned for it. That's it. Boom. Yeah. They picked you out. Yeah. I, um, the, the story, and I don't know if this is true, but the story is that I was one of the first kids Rob saw for, uh, for the role of Gordy. And uh, uh, the story is that he said to one of the other screenwriters who was in the room, uh, well, it can't be this easy. We need to see other kids. And then went and saw everybody all over the, the, the country for it. Um, wow. I, I don't know if that story is true because I've just heard my mother tell it over and over and over again. <laughs> right, and like, right. I'm a dad, so I know how over time the myth kind of takes on a life <laughs> of its own. Um, but I went through a bunch of, a bunch of callbacks. And, and I remember uh, for like sort of the final callback, uh, uh, they were sort of 
mixing a bunch of different kids together to figure out like kind of who had the best chemistry and who, right. who was going to really be those four kids. Um, at the time, did you know what kind of a big movie it was going to be? No, not at all. Um, I, I, was, I, I turned 13 during production. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I remember that we all kind of thought we were working on something special. Mm -hmm. The work felt really good. The storytelling felt very real. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was just something about the way we all kind of connected to our characters that, that made it just a special sort of experience. And none of us were expecting or, or, or were prepared for how like it became that sort of cultural phenomenon that year that it came so out. So that's interesting because what happens next? So you're a 13 year old, the movie comes out, it's huge. Like, are you going to school? What happens in school? Do all the girls want to date you all of a sudden? This is great. The movie comes out on August 8th. Uh, in 1986, I think, and the only reason I know that that date is that it's my wife's birthday. Mm -hmm. And uh, after we had been dating for a while, she said, uh, "I have to tell you that I actually went to see Stand by Me on my 16th birthday." Oh, that's really fun. <laughs> so, uh. so um, we uh, uh, we saw um, we saw the movie come out. And then my parents took my brother and sister and me on this like motorhome vacation. Mm -hmm. And this is before internet. Mm -hmm. And so we just went on this motorhome vacation through all these national parks and stuff. And we were gone for, I think, three weeks. So I came home and there were boxes of fan mail on the front porch. Wow, it's funny, ironic, because that's like out of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I, was, I, I, I was like, asked my dad, like, what? You know, there's boxes for me on the porch, right? In my brain, I'm like, Star Wars figures, awesome! Right. And I open it up, I'm like, oh, letters. And then I remember staying up like all night reading these things, and it was it was a really weird, surreal experience for me. And, and did you, you know, gain more popularity? Like, how did your life change at that point? Um, I don't really remember it being very different in like my real life, kind of in the neighborhood and at school. Because I was a weird kid. I was awkward. I was uncomfortable. I was super nerdy. I was very like kind of withdrawn and cerebral. I was really sensitive. I was the kind of kid that, that other kids liked to pick on to sort of raise their social standing. Uh -huh. um, really? And, yeah. And, and when, when someone... When the Did movie, anybody stand by you? No one did. <laughs> Not at all. Ah, man, it turns out life isn't like the movies. <laughs> uh, so it didn't really, it didn't really change anything. The That's amazing, thing, though. You thing would that think like that if you're a star of this big movie, and they're like, oh, we were paying. It's like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. All of a sudden, you know, you're leading the sleigh. Didn't I all the know. reindeer want to play with I, you? No, not. I was not invited to a single reindeer game. <laughs> Uh, I didn't get to go uh, to the Island of Misfit Toys. The Miser <laughs> brothers were not able to reconcile because of me. It was really disappointing. Um, but the only thing that did change is that when I went to, I'd been in private school, uh, and we moved uh, uh, to La Crescenta, where I, I ended up sort of spending the rest of my teenage years, and I went to public high school. And I was terrified because I had never, all I knew about public high school, all I knew about high school was what I had learned from watching John Hughes movies, mm -hmm. right? You're so right. I go to public high school the first day and I'm like, there are not a lot of 23 year olds here. This is not what the movies told me to expect. <laughs> right, and where and, in the world is the breakfast club? Yeah, and I was, and I, and I just remember feeling awkward and, and just afraid, right? Um, and everybody in the school knew that I was the kid from Stand By Me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I was so terrified and so shy and so weird that I just sort of like kept my head down and really kept to myself. And this sort of like what went through the school was that kid thinks he's too good for everybody because oh, he's famous. Oh, right. And 
it began the worst year of my life. That's I just could, so I just, interesting. I, could, I, just, I couldn't make friends. I, I never really found my way around. I, I, found, I found a few friends. And, uh, and what sort of brought us together was that we all liked science fiction and fantasy and playing board games. And, and that was like, and I was like, yay, I found the nerds. And, then, and we're still friends. All of us are still friends to today. Man, if you liked science fiction and you were waiting for the Star Wars figures, et cetera, when you got Star Trek The Next Generation, you must was, have been ecstatic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, there's like, I struggle to express how excited I was when, like, just when I found out that I was going to get to audition at all, mm -hmm. right? Like, for Star Trek? Really? Right? Um, and, uh, and, and then I was, uh, I had a callback. I got to meet Gene Roddenberry. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh -huh. and, and that was just, like, uh, I, I was I was so excited to meet him that I actually ruined the callback. I sucked. I just I, I was I gave a bad audition, mm -hmm. uh, and I got really lucky. And they let me come back and sort of try again. Mm -hmm. And then just like the DVDs are out now, right? The remastered Blu-ray DVDs and uh, or I guess Blu-ray discs is what we're supposed to call them. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I feel like Sony's lawyers are going to be yelling at me. Um, <laughs> but they have all of our like makeup tests and our press releases and, and some of our auditions and things are on these. And I'm looking at this stuff and I just, I remember being that like awkward, nerdy, 14 year old kid with a really bad haircut, like mm -hmm. just, I couldn't believe it. Like I'm standing in the transporter room. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens when they transport you? I actually asked Gene Roddenberry that. Uh -huh. we were, so we're walking down, um, when we started our bridge and, and, uh, and the captain's quarters and the ready room were all on stage six at Paramount. Mm -hmm. And our, uh, our corridors and engineering and uh, sick bay, transporter room uh, were all on stage nine. So we're on stage nine one day and you would walk into the stage door and you'd go actually through a turbo lift. It was cool. They'd take the back off the turbo lift uh -huh. and you'd walk through the turbo lift and then you'd be in this long corridor, right? Mm -hmm. And if you went to your left, you'd be in the transporter room. And if you went into your right, you'd be in sort of like a general enterprise room that they could redress. Mm -hmm. Then you'd get to this T intersection and it was the big round corridor. So if you ever watch Next Generation, you right. see having these long walk-in talks, yeah. it's in that corridor, right? Yeah, always if, in the same one, of yeah. course. <laughs> if, you go, if you go to the left, you would go down to where sick bay is and right. uh, sick bay in the first season was, was actually redressed to be the observation lounge. And then if you go to the right, you go down to engineering. So uh, I, I'm walking into the set and I have a scene in engineering. Uh -huh. And I, I walk down to the turbo lift and I'm just waiting sort of like at the turbo lift door and here comes Gene Roddenberry. Now I knew Gene a little bit then. Uh, we were friends and I still had the like hero worship for him, right? So we start to walk down the corridor and he starts making small talk with me about like how it is to be on the show and, and are you having a good time and are you happy to be here and, and, and that sort of thing, right? Gene is a huge man. Like he was, he was, he was over six feet. He was just, he was a giant guy, right? Uh -huh. and and he says, uh, he says, so um, did you have any questions about, about the work, right? Like, uh -huh. you know, do you have questions about like right. Wesley Crusher or like the character relationships? And I, and I go, what's it like when you're transported? What's it feel like? How does that work? <laughs> like it just, it vomits out of my mouth, right? Like, what like did he say? the guy who made Star Trek's like, you can have anything you want, right? It was like when Homer and Apu went to meet the guy that made the Quickie Mart, you know? <laughs> you can ask me three questions. Are you the guy who made the Quickie Mart? Yes, really? Yes, really? Yes, thank you. Come again, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so he said, well, you, you stand uh, 
in front of the engineer and you say energize and then there's a brief, Gene talked with his hands like this, there's a, there's a brief moment of uh, uh, losing consciousness like you've fallen asleep but when you wake up you're in a new place. And I was like, Okay, great. And then we were in engineering. <laughs> and you're like, really? Really? Yeah. So when you watch the first season of Next Generation and Wesley Crusher's like, this is amazing. That's just me. That's awesome. <laughs> just like everywhere I go. I don't know why, but our fate, like, so we watched, my, my friends and I in college watched every single episode. Yeah. And we, no matter what we were doing, and back then there's no DVRs or anything like that, we would stop and we'd rush home to watch yeah. Star Trek The Next Generation together, right? Yeah. And I don't know why, but our favorite saying was, get the boy off the bridge! Of course. And that was you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know why we were obsessed, but anytime somebody did something wrong, we'd be like, get the boy off the bridge! Right. Okay. <laughs> to give you a sense of what giant dorks we were in college. I love that. Okay. <laughs> I love that. So, by the way, I should hook you up with a guy who greenlighted Paramount. Uh, because we know him, John Pike is the. Of course, John Pike was great. Yeah, he would probably know the story of why you were picked. Because I've had conversations with him on the show about yeah. why everybody was picked. I know why I was picked. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I actually. Um, uh, so, David Gerald was a writer on the original Star Trek. This is cool. David Gerald was 18 and he wrote the episode The Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, and, really? Oh, yeah, wow. And, okay. And, and I, I asked him, You're 18. How? How did you like just have the chutzpah to go and, and write that write that episode? And he said, "Well, nobody told me I couldn't do it." Mm -hmm. So my son is a my son has a, a, a creative writing degree and just applied to to graduate school for creative writing. Right. And I was like, "You just have to remember this. No one told you you can't. Just, yeah. Just keep doing it. Right. Yeah. So David and Bob Justman were telling Gene, "It's not a good idea to have a kid on on the Enterprise. It's it's weird, and, and they're not going to like it." But Gene really wanted families on the mm -hmm. Enterprise, right? Mm -hmm. And he wanted, he just wanted to bring that dynamic to the show. He wanted it to be less militaristic than the original Star Trek was. And uh, so David had just seen Stand By Me. And David oh. wrote a memo, and I have a copy of the memo uh, mm -hmm. that David gave me, where he wrote a memo to Bob Justman and, uh, and to Gene, and he said, if you're just, like, if you're gonna have this, if you're gonna have this character, I think you should really see this kid. Mm -hmm. He's a good actor, he's very, very popular in Stand By Me right now, and he's gonna bring the teenage girls to the show. And that's like a thing that we want. Right. And so that's, that's how I got even considered in the first place, was, was because of him. Th that's awesome. So speaking of teenage girls, please tell me that after Star Trek, you got some dates. Not, not, no, not really. No, Come no, I, I was. I want to transport I, I, back in time to help <laughs> the young Will Wheaton no, be like, you no, know, look up, look up, there they when, are. They'll enter your holodeck. <laughs> when, when, I was, when I was a kid, um, I was so insecure and I was so afraid of people that kind of wanted to get close to me because I was famous then mm -hmm. that I was like instantly suspicious of people. And so I was already a little weird. I was already a little awkward. I was already super, super nerdy. And then I was like not really prepared to be super famous then. Right. And I was inherently distrustful of people because I had seen the way that people were weird and tried to get close to my friends who were super famous back, mm -hmm. back then. Right. And, and I could just see these like these hangers on and it was just, I was like, I don't want people like that around me. Right. And I remember thinking when I was like 17, 18 years old and like meeting some very attractive girl, uh, 
I'm not going to try to go out uh, on a date with her because she probably is only interested in me because I was, I'm on Star Trek and it could not possibly have anything to do with me because I'm not interesting. I'm weird and, and I'm, I'm a nerd and I'm all those things everybody, you know, all the names that people call me. So here's the difference between you and me, Well, because I probably would have thought something similar but then I would think like since I'm weird and etc. This is my only chance. So, uh, <laughs> thank God she's interested in me for being on Star Trek. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in. So, all right. So now you, you go through all that, and then yeah. you it, it's there's this ironic moment where uh, you get you're one of the first people hated on the internet, from what I understand. That's what right. it's in my notes. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that before. Yeah. Okay, and then you become this huge player on the internet where you're tremendously respected. So, how in the world did either one of those things happen? Um, I don't know if I'm respected. I know that I, I just talk a lot, uh -huh. so I, I don't know if anybody really. I don't know if anybody really respects me. No, um, no, 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 no. Look, people look to you seriously for like you know on uh, on serious issues, whether it's soap or other things. You lead on I, it, and people respect that. I try. I, I I just think that I'm really lucky that like if we're all sort of like in a big cafeteria, every now and then I get to stand up on the table and sort of shout above the noise. And every now and then, people will listen to whatever it is that comes out of my mouth, and I just want it to be worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And I want, and I want to do, I want to set a good example for my kids, and I want to inspire people the way other people have inspired me. Mm -hmm. So, when I have the opportunity to communicate to somebody and communicate to large groups of people, I do take it seriously, and I do sort of try to do my best with it. Why, why but, do they hate you in the first place? Well. Um, Boy, a lot of ink has been spilled over this, and the, uh -huh. the like. The, the the super TLDR is um, there were older people uh, than me, uh, like 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 people in college who were. Uh, just really hated the idea of there being a kid on the show in the mm. first place. Okay, so there's there's that, oh, right? Okay. So like that strike one, um, and then the first season of Next Generation is not very well written. Like we uh -huh. really flail around and kind of try to figure out who we are. There was a ton of turnover in in the writers' room that season. Mm -hmm. There was just a real struggle for the show's identity. And mm -hmm. Wesley Crusher was more of an idea than a person. Mm -hmm. He was sort of like, gee whiz, hey, I solved your problem for you. See you later, <laughs> adults. What's up with them? Uh -huh. You know, like. And Right. Was, yeah. Like so that got not, not exactly yeah. the most sympathetic character in the world, right? right? And and that sort of made him really just like an irritating kind of thing to people who had access to Usenet and bulletin boards and, and people who were using computers at the time. But people who were my age, who were like were Wesley Crusher, right? Mm -hmm. They were really smart. They they were like uh, sort of in a, in a weird relationship with people who were older than them, but like they could hold their own in a professional situation, right? right? And and they were like, if you look at first season of Next Generation, I don't know why anyone ever doesn't listen to Wesley Crusher because he's always right. I mean, <laughs> it's like funny, it's yeah. I mean, at a point it's sort of like it's hilarious, right? It's like a sci-fi trope. Like so, you should so, get that boy on so, the bridge more often. I know. Right. So, <laughs> there's, so I think I think that, that, that there was this idea where, where people who, who loved Wesley were kids. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, as a general rule, when you like something, you don't go online and write a 4,500 word screed about how much you love it. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> Especially in the beginning of the internet. I mean, not that it's gotten any better, but there's a lot of hate out there. Yeah. So, so sort of, I think, I think that sort of like the, I think that the, um, 
the, the baseline calculation that my friend uh, and I use is that uh, comments tend to be sort of like, like two to one uh, uh, against you. Mm -hmm. So if you can get your comments up to even, right, on like, I love right. you, I hate you, you're actually doing it, you're going ahead. Yeah. People who are like happy and really like what you're doing, they're like, that was great. Well, I'm going to go on with my life now. You know, <laughs> they don't go and, and sit down at the computer. That, that should be the second Wheaton's Law. Like, if you can get to even, you're yeah. actually... <laughs> twice yeah. as much ahead in the yeah. game or whatever. I yeah. wouldn't phrase it that way. Okay, <laughs> uh, it's a little clunky. Now, speaking of Wheaton's Law, uh, so you're a big gamer, yeah. uh, and so how did you come up with the clever line, don't be a dick? Um, <laughs> I, I gave the keynote to the Penny Arcade Expo, which is a really big gamer-oriented uh, convention in Seattle put on by the guys that run Penny Arcade. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it's shortened to PAX, and PAX was created as a response to E3, where E3 was kind of all about the industry and the, the content creators. And uh, it had reached a point when they started doing packs where, where uh, E3 was pretty gross. Like mm -hmm. it was just, it was, it was obnoxious, it was loud, it, it did not pay any attention to the people who actually played the games that they were trying to sell, and it was just gross and lame. Mm -hmm. So PAX was created in response to that, and it was supposed to sort of be like about gamers. And, and it was a celebration of gaming culture in the gaming community. And I was invited to give the keynote address. And I was really afraid because I felt like I was too old to do it. I felt like no one would care what I had to say. And I thought, you know what, I've got one chance to do something here. I'm going to try to tie together the generations that come to PAX. So I told some stories. Um, uh, when I'm not being an actor, I'm a narrative nonfiction writer. And I, and, I, and I told these narrative nonfiction stories that I had written about my life being a gamer, starting with the Atari and Nintendo Mm -hmm. and, and uh, writing my own things in BASIC on the Atari 400. And, wow, you and, really and, were a nerd. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And that, you know, like, You're a bigger like, nerd than Kim Horton. <laughs> stay, stay, <laughs> staying up, staying up all, all night tr uh, uh, playing, uh, having like uh, Stanley Cup playoffs uh, uh -huh. in, in Sega hockey on the Genesis when I was in college. Wow, so you were even like into hockey? Yeah, 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 so yeah. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, so, so um, uh, Tech Mobile, what? I could understand. Did you ever play Tech Mobile? I didn't like Tech Mobile. Oh come on! Yeah. The Chicago no, tight end could score a touchdown every I, time. I know it's it's that I actually I just I just, I, I feel terrible saying this, but oh my god, I hate football so much. Oh really? I oh hate now it we got issues. So much. It Why is, do you hate it? Because it is boring. No, you're crazy. It's They're so trying to kill each other. It's boring. Fun. No, I no. I, I love I love hockey and I love soccer, because they never stop. I mean, yeah, that's just, true. That's a fair point. And I love rugby too. I mean, like you, you can take. I, I mean, if you, want, if you want to watch guys, wow, I have respect for you, man, because I'm scared. I love to watch it. I, yeah. you, you could not pay me enough to get me to set foot on a rugby pitch. Forget it. Yeah. Um, well, it, there's some logic behind that. We used to go to the hospital literally after every game. Like I bet. a different, like three or four of us. Yeah. Uh, but I got some cuts under my eye and yeah. stuff. It, yeah, it, rugby's a crazy, crazy game. But it, you should, it's a little un-American to not like football. You should reconsider that. I, <laughs> of all the reasons I've been called un-American over the years, that's actually, that's, that's probably the only one that even makes any sense. Um, so anyway, I gave this speech to Penny Arcade Expo, and I, I was talking about what it's like to play online games mm -hmm. and how playing um, uh, uh, Halo or uh, 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 any of the you know Battlefield games or whatever, when you're playing with someone, and, and they're just, 
they're awful, mm -hmm. right? Like, I don't need you to sit there, 14-year-old kid, and show me uh, how many colorful expletives you've managed to teach yourself. Right. And, and, you know, and I, and I, I don't need to know uh, how many different ways uh, you fucked my mom. Like, it's, yeah. like, it's, like, it's like enough already, right? And, and it's just, and, and the thing that I compared it to was the experience that I had as a kid playing in video arcades, mm -hmm. all right? We would play, uh, you would play games against another person, right? Mm -hmm. If I ever opened my mouth to another human being the way kids playing video games or, or adults playing video games online would just mouth off to people, I would have gotten the shit beat out of me over and over and over again. So an important part of kind of like my, my socialization and my, my learning of sportsmanship and just, just like not being a dick when you play games mm -hmm. was to just like have fun, compete, don't be competitive, and uh -huh. just don't be a dick. Right. So when you're playing a game, just don't be a dick. Like it'll be great for everybody. Uh -huh. And it was like this standing ovation applause line when I, when I said that. Right. And, and uh, people started referring to it as Wheaton's Law. Obey Wheaton's Law, don't be a dick, was what right. people said. That's and, awesome. And uh, like, if that's the only thing that I end up leaving to this world other than like my children, like if, if that's, that, that people have that ingrained in themselves, like, don't be a dick. You're being a dick. Okay, stop being a dick. Because everybody knows what that right, means. Right, I mean, right, it's, it's very, it's it's really simple. You know, there's you can't sort of weasel around it, right? No. It's, so that's that's what that's what Wheaton's law is. And but that that's pretty good because you're you're making the world a little better when people remind themselves of that. And yeah. I, I think that it's terrific. And you're right. When I I see kids playing video games and I don't even know who they're talking. At first, like I'm such I'm so old school now. I didn't even know, I'm like, who, why do they keep yelling this, right? right. Turns out they're speaking to someone else in a, in a different yeah. place in Indiana or whatever. Yeah. And I keep hearing like, I'm gonna sexually assault you. I'm gonna sexually yeah, assault you. Yeah. <laughs> like, why? why, why are you gonna do that? Okay. I had to sit, I had to sit my younger son down. He was playing, uh, I think it was one of the Call of Duty games. And he comes into my office and he's really proud of himself. I raped that guy! And I right. was like, we're gonna have a conversation now right. about like, like, you tell me what you think that means. Right. And he had absolutely no idea, like, how profoundly offensive and, 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 and awful and just fundamentally wrong that entire line of thinking was. Uh, and it actually created a really great opportunity for me as his father to, like, talk about violence and violence against women and the way that we, you know, deal with other people and, and like what is acceptable and like what sort of like standards you sort of hold for yourself, right? Um, uh, but based on the experiences I've had playing online, there are not a lot of parents having that conversation with Yeah, parents. it certainly appears that way. And by the way, NRA psychos, video games don't kill people, you jackasses. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's a the point we we're making is that there's vi a ton of video games in Japan and almost no gun deaths. Yeah. You know why? Because they don't have guns. Yeah. And so the, the murder rate is massively lower. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with the video games. It has to do with the guns. Yeah. It has to do with the guns. So I totally agree with you on that. So, so what's driving you these days, uh, you know, in terms of the political issues? You know, I, I know, as I've said like many times now, SOPA, PIPA, all those things, you oppose Prop 8, yeah. et cetera. What, what's, is there a driving issue these days? I think gun violence is on everybody's mind, and I agree really strongly with Greg Sargent. If the murder of 20 children isn't going to fundamentally change the just the sick obsession with firearms we have in America, nothing ever will. Mm -hmm. And it that just um, it, it is so upsetting to me. Uh, like as a father, 
and and I'm just as a human being, um, and I I am cautiously optimistic mm-hmm. that maybe this will be one of those times where the president like actually takes a rational progressive position on an issue and stays there mm-hmm. and doesn't just Have you been disappointed with Obama? And super disappointed with Obama. Oh yeah. wow. Mm-hmm. I I'm trying really hard to be understanding I, I don't know how I would deal if I were the president and I ran into an, a congress that is this obstructionist. Mm-hmm. Having lived in California for as long, I've lived here my entire life, and our state government functions exactly the way that the Tea Party uh, uh, caucus in the House functions. Mm -hmm. There's this tiny rump minority of lunatic Republicans here in California who just refuse to let anything happen. But there's enough of them that nothing ever happens. And I always thought, like, you know, as California goes, so does the nation. And I just never thought that it would actually break the three branches of government like it has. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I... I don't, I don't know if, if and I think the national mainstream media is utterly and totally failing mm-hmm. to um, communicate to Americans how unprecedented and how dysfunctional th- the last Congress was. And, and, and how this like normalizing of negotiating over the debt ceiling is, uh, it's, it's insane. But they've like if we were everything. if we were a parliament, if we had a parliament, the house would be declared uh, like if, if, dysfunctional and it would be dissolved. Right. Because it's because it's just it's a disaster. Yeah, no, they've normalized everything. All the articles, this is one of my pet peeves, say, well, you need obviously you need 60 votes in the Senate. No, you don't. You need yeah, 50 you votes don't. in the Senate. A, a filibuster is extraordinary, yeah. except they just normalize it. Now they filibuster every single bill, so you need 60 votes. It's, it's, one, it's one area where uh, I think that the, like, the big, sort of the big behind-the-scenes movement conservatives, the Koch brothers and, and Grover Norquist and the Club for Growth and Freedom Works and all of those people, they have done a magnificent job of just destroying the language that we use to talk about how business gets done in Washington. Right. They have fundamentally, it's not even just, they haven't just moved the Overton window, right? Like right. we're in a whole different Overton room now. It's <laughs> so, so, the first so, time I've ever heard that. So considering, law number three. <laughs> so considering all of that, uh-huh. I try very hard to be realistic about my expectations for Obama. Um, there are some things where I think that just, there are issues that I think you just absolutely don't negotiate on. I, mm. I'm a, I, I believe in, in respecting all 10 of the Bill of Rights. Yes. Uh, and yes. and, uh, and, and the, the, the normalization of, of uh, 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 torture and, and drone strikes. I'm appalled that Brennan is, has been nominated to, to, to head the CIA. Almost no one on TV uh, is saying it because you know you got the guys who cheer for the Democrats. He had to withdraw his freaking nomination in 08. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. That, that, like, what that signals, I think, to, to the government and to the rest of the world and to the future terrorists that we're currently creating with our drone strikes is that this is okay, this is the way we do things in America. And I don't think that's right, I don't think it's healthy, and I really don't think that it's, it's, it's smart in a, in a democracy for, um, for all of this stuff to happen very much in secret where like when Americans travel abroad, we're sort of held accountable for the actions of, of the, like the most asshole Tea Party uh, House <laughs> GOP guy, but, right? And, and, and 
but our voice in our government isn't heard. But on the other hand, they have made it bipartisan, so we are responsible for the drone strikes. The Republicans and the Democrats yeah. cheer for it, and you know we're screaming against it. But but John Brennan is going to sail through. Now Obama has normalized it, and, and I, so yeah, I'm hoping that because like he doesn't have to run again, mm -hmm. and he has a choice to make. Right? Like, what's his legacy going to be? Is it going to be like Obamacare? which just should have had some kind of public option in it from right. the beginning. Right. Like, or at least maybe start negotiations there instead of starting negotiations in the middle. No, but um, Wesley, I just called you Wesley. I can't believe it. I is, did it that. has happened to me my <laughs> entire life. Okay, sorry. Will, <laughs> so I watched too much Star Trek. Anyway, seriously, Will, that's the thing though. I, I've come to the conclusion that this is what Obama wants. It's, yeah, I know. And it's that, not yeah. that he's a bad negotiator. He right. didn't want the public option. Yeah. And and he he's oh, totally okay with signature strikes, which is the drone strikes where we don't know who we're killing. Right. And he's totally he doesn't want to punish the banks. A lot of the bankers are his friends yeah. and certainly his donors. So I think he's just like, oh golly gee, the Republicans made me do so. What do you think his legacy is? I know from a, a United States congressman that flat out asked him the question. Yeah. And he said his biggest desire is to do the grand bargain. Where, yeah. where, by I, the way, we would cut Social Security and Medicare. Yeah, which, which is, it's just, I, I, I cannot believe that a Democrat would ever talk at all, even in the abstract, mm -hmm. about touching the two most successful programs for taking care of people. I know. Who, 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 who just, I sort of think, I mean, I think that there's also, there's like a philosophical way like you view America, right? Like, I believe that we're better when we work together than when we all kind of struggle independently. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, I'm doing really well. I've had a great few years. I'm, I'm, I'm nearing the like, the like you know, 2%. Mm -hmm. Take my money and, and, and like, I can't spend it. Let's make life better for people who are struggling like crazy. Mm -hmm. I can't believe that I live in a country where my Congress would adjourn without taking care of their fellow Americans who were destroyed by a giant uh, superstorm. Mm -hmm. Like that's just appalling to me. Right. There's no excuse for that. And, 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 and they'd run amok. And, and, it's, and it's, like, it's like these people who, like if I could go back and change anything in history, I would make sure that Atlas Shrugged was never written. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's, I think that, I, think, I really believe that that has created these people who are just, they're selfish, they're, they're unbelievable nihilists. I, I, I honestly <laughs> think that that's just the justification. I mean, they're, they're going to justify their greed in one way or another. The Heritage Foundation, all the right-wing think tanks, they're, they're not there to win the argument. They're there right. just to give an excuse so that Republican politicians and their rich donors can say, oh no, I'm doing it based on a policy paper written by the Heritage Foundation, yeah, right. and look at that genius Ayn Rand, and that's my philosophy. No, your philosophy is gimme, 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 and I don't yeah. want to share with anybody, doesn't matter how rich I am. They're selfish pricks. In fact, they could use Wheaton's Law. Don't be a dick. I'm moderately optimistic. I mean, we have, you know, relative to what we've had for, for a couple of decades, we have a relatively progressive uh, Democratic caucus in the Senate now, and, right. and like I think that's I think that's I think it's 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 I have to I can't I can't just like decide no we're screwed I have to be I have to be hopeful yeah. that having someone like like Elizabeth Warren in the Senate right. and having Tammy Baldwin in the Senate is going to make a difference. It's not. I <laughs> okay. Come on, now, just let me now, have that. No, let me have that. No, no, no. There is a hope. I mean, look, everybody that watches the Uncursed knows this because I say it so often. The hope is to get money out of politics. If you don't, absolutely constitutional amendment. If you don't do that amendment, we're screwed. I mean. Elizabeth Warren is terrific. Tammy Baldwin's great. 
but they're tilting against the windmills. It's, you know, at most there's like how many of them? 13 or so in the Senate? Yeah. You know, that are real progressives at most they're going to lose every time. I don't know. I'm hoping that they'll that they'll hold together. If they hold together as a caucus, if like we on the left have given this up for for uh, almost an entire generation. Mm -hmm. Like we've just sort of looked at, at at elections at every level and we've thought this guy I this Democrat sucks, mm -hmm. but that Republican is terrifying. All right, I'm going to vote for the Democrat who sucks. Yeah, and, that's it. And, right there and, and, that's and, the game and that's the, being played on us. And, and, and if, if we can just hold together and force the, the sort of mainstream Democrats to stop, uh, like Emmanuel said, punching hippies mm -hmm. and, and, and start really like thinking about some of the things that have absolutely made America great. Mm -hmm. And everything that's made America great has been a progressive ideal and a progressive priority. Yeah, they've lost then, track of that then, entirely. Then, then I think because they're, got, they're rewarded, they're rewarded based and and they're reelected based on the donors. So we got to change the system. If you don't fundamentally change the functioning system that they, it's like a computer program. Right. If you program that, in, for example, in Congress, ninety-three percent of the time, the person with more money wins. Yeah. So what does a rational person do? Raise more money at right. all costs, right? So we, if we reprogram it, though, it can give us great results. Because when we didn't have unlimited money in politics, we got Nixon to pass the EPA, right. OSHA, you know, seatbelts. Ralph Nader was the most powerful guy in the country. Remember those days? Yeah. You know, so it is possible. So there is that hope, if you ask me. All right, now let me end on a couple of goofy questions. Okay. Now you said that you've got enough money, et cetera. You just said a couple of minutes ago. Yeah. Do, you, do you still get money from Star Trek? A very little bit. I mean, it's I I, uh, I actually just got a couple of uh, I got a couple of residual checks that were for less than a dollar. Oh really? Uh, yeah. And so I every time they replay it, you get a tiny amount. Slightly, right? A little bit less. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, that's interesting. So do any of those things, or is it all the new stuff like Big Bang Theory and stuff? Um, uh, do you mean uh, like revenue-wise? Like you know, <laughs> so because once I talked to the guy who ran the Peach Pit uh, on uh, Beverly Hills yeah, 90210, yeah. Joey Tata, yeah, right? Yeah. And he said, "Look, I retired on you know on the residuals alone." You can do that. Um, the deal that we had in place when we did Next Generation, uh, the way the contracts were structured, it was first-run syndication, and it just it didn't. It didn't work the way that, like, if you're on a, if you're on a network series today mm -hmm. and you work really hard and you get really lucky and you get on one of those like maybe dozen shows that really takes off, right. you can work for five years and then not have to worry about like paying your bills for the rest of your life. Um, I'm not there yet. Mm -hmm. I'm working real hard to get there. Right. Um, but like, I worry about making. I have to earn a certain amount of money every year so that I qualify for the health insurance through Screen Actors Guild. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, and I, we're all worried to death about health insurance. Yeah. That's what it is. Like. I know yeah. people, I, in, a huge TV executive came out of retirement because his wife got sick and he's yeah. like, oh my God, I'm desperate for health insurance. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's a whole other story too. Every time I hear some, some jackass in Congress sort of state as an article of faith that the United States has the best anything in the world, but especially best healthcare system in the world, I want to rage quit my life. I mean, I just, I want, I want to go to Ikea, build a table, and then just flip it over and over and over again, because it makes me so angry I think I you can just do it with an old table. I don't think you have to get a new table. But that's funny, because I just learned from Kim, who does Nerd Alert for us, 
what rage quit is today. I didn't know what that was, and boom, here we are using it. Okay, before we rage quit this interview, yes. uh, <laughs> do, you, uh, do you hang out uh, or talk to any of the uh, old Star Trek uh, I talk actors? to everybody from Star Trek. Oh, we're really? All, we're all very close. Even yeah. Diana Troy? Uh, yes, everybody, uh -huh. all of us. Did you have a crush <laughs> on her back then? I had the hugest crush in the world on Marina when I was a teenager. Oh, yeah, is that, yeah of course, yeah, it's, right? It's, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a funny thing that we joke about uh, <laughs> now. Um, but yeah, I had, a, I had a gigantic crush on her. Mm -hmm. um, we are, um, <clears throat> I'm really lucky uh, that I have a movie like Stand By Me in my body of work. You know, mm -hmm. actors will go their entire careers and, and like hoping to achieve something like that. And I'm doubly lucky to have spent my formative years on Star Trek The Next Generation because we worked, I worked with this group of actors where we were all very close friends. We were very much a family and we were, uh, uh, it's been 25 years, and we see each other once a month. Mm -hmm. um, wow, yeah, really? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, we're... Even we're, Picard? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it's great. <laughs> Patrick, Patrick actually moved back to the United States. He was living in England, and he did a couple of years of, of just doing live theater in England. Uh -huh. And he moved back to the U.S., and, and, uh, and I think he lives in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, I see, and this year, this last year was the 25th anniversary, so a bunch of different Star Trek conventions sort of got us all together to, mm -hmm. to go and, and do things together, and it was great. It was like we had, it was like we never stopped the show, and for me, really, it's the best thing, because I'm an adult now. I'm 40. I have uh, two adult children, mm -hmm. and, and uh, when I was a kid, I really, really wanted to like hang out with those guys because they were so cool. They were my role right. models, you know. Right. Like they were, they were my friends, and I, it was like having nine parents, mm -hmm. and and like I really just I looked up to all of them so much. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> I would go home and listen to Depeche Mode and Joy Division and play D and D and 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 you know go do nerd stuff with my friends, and they would go out to dinner and drinks and a jazz club or whatever, and like our lives were just so, so different. Of course. And it created all this angst in me, you know, because I just, I wanted to be, like I wanted to be like them, I wanted to hang out with them, and I didn't have that. Uh, it's one of the ways I think Wesley would have been a more interesting character, if they had written some of the turmoil that I had into the character, right. um, that it would, have, it would have made him more, uh, more sympathetic. Um, and this last year, you know, getting to see them as much as, as I have, I finally got that thing I always wanted, where we would, we all went out to dinner together, we all went to a bar together, we all went, you know, we went and listened to music and together. And was it as good as uh, you it, had imagined? It was even better. It was great because, like, uh, the, people were at gates, like, I'm having a problem with my computer. Can you handle this thing on my computer? I helped Frakes when uh, Frakes' uh, email got hacked. Uh -huh. And I, I, so I texted him and I said, dude, your email's been hacked. You've got to log into your account and change your password. And he was like, can you help? So he texts me back. Can uh -huh. you help me fix this? And, and I said, yeah, I, I can. So I asked him what his email client was and I talked him through all of it. Now, whenever I get a text Ironically, message. Ironically, you were being Wesley Crusher. Right. So whenever I get a text, whenever I get a text message on my on my on my uh, smartphone, uh, it's the original series communicator sound because I'm a huge Star Trek nerd. Oh, so I love funny. that. Right. Yeah. So so I'm on this little smartphone, and as I'm typing on it, I realize that Frakes and I are talking to each other on a device that's visually inspired by a piece of wood that we held 25 years ago on the set of Next Generation. And every time I get a message, it's making a Star Trek sound, right? So uh, I made some, some reference, uh, some joke about how uh, Wesley Crusher and I weren't all that different uh, after all. Um, and, I, and, and then uh, he made a, a Star Trek reference, and I can't remember what it was, and I said, all right, so um, let me know. I said, I, I need you to open up a terminal and, and, and run this command, and then just tell me what it says for your, for your CPU. 
output. And he said, it's, it's, uh, it's up in the red. And I said, that's good. It means that your processor is working and it's cleaning out all of this stuff. And he says back to me, I'm giving it all she's got, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, engage. And, and it was... And then I was like, oh my God, I just had the biggest nerd moment of my life. <laughs> no, it, look, if, for those of us who watched it, I mean, uh, we like the, all the make it so's and my yeah. favorite line from <laughs> it ever is, what would the Picard think? You yeah, know, right, when they yeah. thought he was God. And yeah. he, I just, I, I loved every bit of it. The fact that you got to live that out as a person who loves it and was yeah. a part of it is terrific. Now, uh, w one last thing here. Yeah. You're on uh, uh, online shows as well. Yes. So, Geek and Sundry show Tabletop. Uh, yeah. I think we have a clip from it, and then I want you to explain it. Okay, okay? sure. All yeah, right, let's watch it real quick. Morheim and Felicia Day are here because something has been awakened. I think I'm going to try and go to the hedge maze. Amanda. You are a pretty little girl, by I the way. I know, thank you very much. Don't objectify me. Here we go. Red yeah, here we go. That's fun, what is, so tell us about that. So Felicia Day uh, and I have been friends since we were both at the Acme Comedy Theater uh, up in Hollywood. And uh, when she created the Guild, uh, one of my writing partners from Acme uh, was producing it. Mm -hmm. And she, emailed me and she said, look, Felicia did the show, The Guild, will you just put it on your website so people can know about it? Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, because everything Felicia, because she's great, she's super she, talented yeah, and, and incredibly creative. That show creative. is very popular too. Yeah, right. um, so, so I sort of helped promote it in, like, in, in the beginning and I'm really proud to have been part of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of seasons into it, she asked me if I would come and play the rival Guild leader, Fox. Mm -hmm. uh, so this really, did. she said, I want you to play a douchebag in a kilt. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> so so, I, uh, so I, I, we did that together. We did two seasons of The Guild together. And uh, when Google was giving out grants to people who were gonna, going to produce slates of programs, she called me and she said, so we're just going to try it. I don't know if it's going to happen, but we're going to try it. And I've got to give them a whole bunch of ideas. Do you want to do a show together? I was like, mm -hmm. yes, of course. Mm -hmm. And she said, what, well, what do you want to do? And I said, I have, I have no idea, what do you think? And she said, well, I know that you like to play a lot of board games, so what about a show where you review board games? And, and I said, well, I don't know, like, reviewing board games, like, I just, I am so sick of the sound of my own voice, I don't want to sit there and talk to the camera about it. What if we played them instead? Mm -hmm. And it was like, that was, uh, like it was. Remember those magic eye things at the mall where you'd look at the picture and it was just noise, and then mm -hmm. it would it, your eyes would cross, and it's the space shuttle, and it's in like 3D. Mm -hmm. So like I said that, and I was like, oh my god, we're gonna play games together. We're gonna get our friends who are actors and writers and musicians and and creators and celebrities, and we're gonna ask them to come and play games with us. So it's gonna be like celebrity poker meets John Favreau's Dinner for Five right. with board games. And I she was it. like, what a great idea. And then, so then the more I thought about it, I thought, this is great. The thing that makes me happiest in life is playing games. Mm -hmm. it, is, it has formed, it's the foundation of the most important and long, longest lasting friendships in my life. It was an incredible bonding experience with my children. Uh, it's a great way to make friends. It's like game theory is so important to get anything mm -hmm. done. There are so many times when I'm watching, when I'm watching the Senate, I'm like, none of these guys play video games. Like they have no idea, they don't, none of them know what they're doing. Right. These uh, guys could not clear two levels of Tetris. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 That's and, the least and, of their problems. So, so, so I just thought, this is going to be great. This is, this is a way that we can show people who don't play games why games are great. Mm 
And this is a way where we can show people who do play games uh, that people who they, they like to watch on TV also do it. And it's been a huge success where we get uh, like between, like, it's like 350 and, and half a million viewers on just about every episode we put out. That's awesome. We've, did, we've done dice games and card games and, and board games. We've done wonderful RPGs. We're about halfway through the, uh, the first season. We're very, very hopeful that we're going to get a second season. Like we're mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. we're working really hard to, to right. do it. Yeah, I know um, that feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's just, it's been great. I'm really proud of it. And uh, if you had told 16-year-old me that 40-year-old me was going to get to play board games and that was going to be like our job, Right. 16-year-old uh, uh, me uh, would not have believed you and, and would have immediately gone back to playing Contra on the, on the NES. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I love board games and I love poker just like you too. And, and, and I don't think about Tetris, but when I see Harry Reid or, or, or Obama in the negotiations, I think, Man, I'd love to play poker with these guys. Right, Obama's, I, he's like the most tight, weak poker player that I've ever seen in my life. Exactly. Yeah, I, I mean, he could have a pair of kings and I could get him thing. to... But you get him to throw away any hand. Right, yeah. exactly. Pair of queens, oh my God, what if the guy has aces? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One of my poker mentors calls that monsters under the bed. Uh -huh. Right, like you're looking at a really strong hand, but there's probably one hand that might be a little better than yours. And unless you're playing Omaha, like you just you bet your second best hand as much as you can. Right, right. Obama would you don't, never do that. No. Would never do that. One last question for you on games. Then uh, my favorite game when I was growing up was Power Barons. Oh, Are you familiar? Wow, with that? Power Barons. God, yeah. Oh, okay. Because one yeah. day we should play Power Barons. Yeah. Because I, I I brag about how I have never lost. Like I'm really? like I'm like the only person in the world who remembers Power Barons yeah. and who considers himself a Power Barons aficionado. No kidding. <laughs> wow. So hey, Sus is actually wanting to do something like your idea. Our director has wanted to shoot uh, our cast playing Power Barons for, like he's been saying for like five years now. To, wow. Is that a game? Even, is it even in print still? Uh, no, but a couple of our fans sent me two old Power Baron That's sets, great. which I have at home now and bust out. There was, a, there was a game in the 80s that I loved called Dark Tower, and it uh -huh. was sort of, it was by Milton Bradley, and it had this big tower in the middle of the board. It was a fantasy game, uh, and you had to sort of go around this board and uh, get a sword and, and kill trolls and, and like buy things at a bazaar, but the key component of this game was this tower that stood in the middle of the game that had a computer in it mm -hmm. and a little LED uh, display, right? Yeah. And, and it played music, and you would punch things on it. It was so cool. It was like it was like the movie heavy metal kind of like brought to life on my on my table, right? <laughs> Unfortunately without the boobs. But it was uh -huh. still like really it was really cool, right? Uh -huh. And uh, I, I was talking at a convention about uh, I was speaking at a gaming con and I was talking about I wrote a book called Games Matter mm -hmm. and I was talking about why games are important and I mentioned how much I loved this game and someone sent me a copy of it. Uh -huh. Like an actual old in the box, you know, with yeah. their like little twelve-year-old name written inside of a kind of box thing. It's how cute it's is one that? of the best like aspects of the job that that guys like us have. Right, right. Like when we love a thing, that every now and then there's somebody out there who's like, I love that thing as much as you do, and and I I have an extra one, and I want someone who cares about it to have it. Yeah, no, no, it's we're great. super lucky about that. All right, Will Wheaton, thank you so much for it's joining us pleasure, on the Turks. It was a great conversation. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>